Hello and welcome to Fan Slash Fiction with Andrew Slash Zach. I'm Zach Dunsing. And I'm Andrew Gum. Today we cover a brief history of pre-internet fan fiction. Uh, Zach tries to explain reload theory. And Andrew gets lost in the weeds. Again. That's true. <laughs> Yeah, what's going on? Uh, so this is my first week of fall break. So nice. I, uh, yeah, I've been having a really nice time. I watched all of Maniac on Netflix, and it uh, is so good. It I am so good. I am about four episodes in, and I like it, but I, I'm not blown away by it yet. Okay. Uh, if you're not blown away by it yet, I don't know what's wrong with you. You must have a medical condition because it is so good. I think it, it's a anyway. Well, I, I think it's I think it's a little um, awesome, incredible, <laughs> no. like work of modern genius. I don't think it's as dense or as complicated as a lot of other people seem to think it is. But that's oh, I just that I mean, it's density and complexity are not the thing that is so amazing about it to me. It's just such an imaginative, beautiful world that they've made. And like the kind of 1980s futuristic computer aesthetic that they have and how weird the characters are and how bizarre the sense of humor is inside of it. Oh, my gosh. I guess I currently... And I haven't seen it all yet. I currently liked it better when it was called Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Yeah, that is literally what I've been telling everybody. It's like, if you like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, you will like this. If you didn't, then just, you know, I don't know. Well, And I, like all living human beings, do enjoy a sort of fake 80s future. Um, Yeah, because you're alive. well, yeah, but it's also like that is also so played out. And I, I like it. They do a good job of it, a maniac, but it's as a concept is very well worn at this point, I would say. I guess. I don't really like anything based on nostalgia alone. Well, this doesn't feel like it's based on nostalgia alone to me, but I hear what you're saying. I don't know. I don't think it is either. I think it is kind of its own thing, and that's, that's nice, but it also, um, you know, it's got touches of Beyond the Black Rainbow, and it's like got never seen that. T- uh, you don't need to. It's okay. got touches of um, actually, I haven't seen that's a, I haven't watched it, so I, I shouldn't say that. But I didn't need to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and or even like Strangers Things, which is even yeah, yeah yeah is completely nostalgia, and that's the point, and that's fine. But whatever, it's worn out. Uh, sure. What I did see this week was the new Predator movie. Oh, Speaking of how nostalgia, was it? How was it? Shane, uh, um, steeped in controversy, bit of a Predator himself. What's uh, Well, not him, his friend. Wait, isn't Shane Black the one who was in the original movie and then also involved in a sex scandal of his own right now? Well, I don't- Olivia Munn? Well, no, no, no. It wasn't Shane Black. It was a guy on set. It was like a guy who Shane Black hired to be in these, like, some scenes that were cut out of the movie who was also a friend of his. Oh, right. That's my understanding. Yeah, okay. Um, Okay. Yeah, no, it's good. Olivia Munn's good at it. Um, It's got a couple of, like, really decent 
sort of meta jokes about the franchise it uh it, it's ultimately it's fine it's a good ensemble and that's enough to make it entertaining it was very entertaining but it's like ultimately just fine but the thing the reason i bring it up is because i was watching it and something occurred to me which i um i realized i've been thinking about a lot like i've thought about a lot before but i've never really um put it into terms yet and and here's 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 my theory that i'm proposing to you Okay. Um, Receptive to it. Which is that there are two types of action movies. Um, there are the types of action movies where you see people reload their guns, and they're the types of action, action <laughs> movies where you don't see people reload their guns. Yeah. And the former are always better to me. Yes. Well, I, no, I both, agree. Both are very entertaining, but the former are always like better movies to me. You know the kind of action movie I like is the movie where someone is trying to reload at one point and just bullets are spilling out of their like blood slicked fingers. I love those moments. And you get like the tinkly and then he like gets like only two into a chamber and then misses with one and just wings the guy with the second and everyone's all sweaty and has a mustache. So Okay, so that doesn't really factor into my theory, but Okay, continue with your theory. So there's there's yeah, so like so this new Predator movie is very much a you don't see people. No one ever reloads. Gotcha. Um, so I'm calling it reload theory. Okay. Uh, and so you have like like the original Predator. Predator is a reload. Uh, aliens. Is the Matrix Reloaded. It is not. It's, Ironically, The Matrix Reloaded is not, is not a, reload a reload movie. But the yeah, first the it. first Matrix movie and The Matrix Revolutions are reload movies. Which is why they're better. Which is why they're better. Yeah. Okay. Um, Continue. I'll I'll probably continue regardless of whether you say continue. <laughs> yeah, so like Heat, John Wick, Saving Private Ryan, most most war movies, uh, Alien, Aliens, the first Rambo, the first Die Hard, but probably the first and maybe second Die Hard, but I don't think the rest of them. All reload movies. All reload movies. Yes. And they're all superior films because if you're working in if you're if you're paying attention to a finite amount of resources and uh you know finite amount of things that you have to do before you move on in the sequence like it creates more problems for your characters and if you're paying attention to that kind of detail then you're creating a more interesting and challenging movie for for your action stars yes i mean and it makes it feel like it's it's weighted in real things too like that there are stakes like you could run out of bullets which sure. then would leave you you know vulnerable uh and it and it also builds in in breaths and out breaths in action mm-hmm. sequences mm-hmm. where if it's all just pedal to the metal the entire time eventually you'll get action fatigue unless you're watching uh mad max fury road in which case somehow you don't get fatigued. But every Mad Max movie is a reload movie. Mm, that's true because they're all very intent with uh, resources. Yeah. yeah, they're all very Well, and they set that up resources. at the beginning, at the the beginning of Fury Road, he literally like counts out all of the guns that they have in the car and all the ammunition. Yeah, that's so you're sweet. so I love those the, sequences, you're right. Well, yeah. Well, also, I mean, the greatest sequences in all action movies are the, the armor, the um, arming sequences where they you know they go into the armory or they go you know i love those moments i even love it in like yeah like in uh breaking bad the moments where he's like laying out all of the the guns and explaining why they cost more because he filed off the serial numbers and like it's just okay what's your favorite what's your favorite like armory scene 
Um, well, the most memorable one that comes to mind is when uh, it's like guns, lots of them in the Matrix, where it all just like runs in. Yeah. But I do have a special well, that's, again, place like, in that's my like heart. That's like a meta example yeah, of it. It's like a video game inventory of guns in a exactly. movie, which is kind of fun. Uh, but I do have a special place in my heart in Boondock Saints, where it's just sure. that weird guy with the hat who just opens the back room and they just go play in the armory mm. and it's all very childish. And then they go kill so many people with those mm-hmm. guns that they just loaded into a duffel bag. I it's think a, Boondock Saints is an art, is a reload movie. Uh, it's hard yeah. to say. It's a, it really a it really rides the line. It's very unique as a movie, and I know somebody who knows the director, and apparently he's just a monster. So it kind of ruins that for me. Yeah, he burned every bridge that he had. That's why that movie was never released. Because mm, he just sucks so bad. Yeah, that movie was never released. Some, the, as legend has it, some dude at Blockbuster found it, and like who worked at Blockbuster found it and watched it, and then it gained a cult following in really? the nineties. I did yeah, rent it from movie. Blockbuster. That is how I uh, mm-hmm. that is how I saw it. No, actually, from Hastings Books. That's where I rented right. Boondock Saints from. Well, yeah, somehow they had they the rights ended up with the or I don't know somehow they had copies of it, but it was never like released in theaters because that guy apparently sucks. Yeah. Well, uh, I saw so, Boondock Saints too, and it sucked. So yeah, you know. it looked. Yeah, it was not good. <laughs> Made me sad. But uh, but yeah, we're uh, we're doing a deep dive today. We're doing the one thing that I hey. tried to avoid, which was research. <laughs> hey, what? Uh, nothing. I just want to stop using the term deep dive. Deep dive? Yeah. How about deep dish? <laughs> How about like a deep dish pizza? Do you want to just get a deep dish pizza? Yeah, that sounds great. Then we can just have twenty minutes of us eating deep dish pizza, and people are like, oh, I prefer the sound of thin crust. I don't know. I feel like when we say deep dive, it implies that like- That we really know our shit and we definitely don't. And we definitely don't. And we definitely don't. Like all of this stuff is always just as dense as the other stuff. Like we we rarely spend any more time on it than- That's true. Not a deeper dive I mean, I think that we're basically always just scratching the surface, but- Yeah. That is very much what I was left feeling. That is what I was left feeling after all this. But anyway, so so in this episode, we are going to be- uh, We did some research. Uh, We're going to try- Try, we're going to do our best in the time that we have to to do a brief history of fan fiction itself. Yeah, yeah, and particularly the uh, the pre-internet fan fiction. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, so that's what both Zach and I set out to do our own independent research and then bring that together and kind of compare notes. Correct. So, um, if you don't mind, Zach, I'll uh, I'll start with the early stuff, and then we can move our way backwards through time. Yeah, let's start at the present and go backwards. So, sort of like referencing Sarah, Sarah Beth, my sister. She mm-hmm. is a very modern fan fiction consumer. So mm-hmm. she is very up on the fan fiction community uh, archive of our own or AOE three. A- AO three. AO3, archive of our own. There it is. Yeah. Uh, uh, and and that that community is kind of what uh, modern consumers of fan fiction go for. Is they go for these communities, these fan communities that we've been exploring for the most part for this entire little podcast experiment. But as you move backwards through time, uh, they were it was on fanfiction.net, which is where Zach and I started. And yeah, then so. Real quick, uh, so AO3 
was founded in 2008, fanfiction.net, 1998. Right. And fanfiction.net, to my understanding, was uh, – it was sort of an aggregate of just little fan communities that were posted online mm-hmm. in the early days of the internet. Well, fanfiction.net, I think, was was born out of a lot of live journal people, like a lot of live journal people were working and then came together because oh, they wanted a space – they wanted a site specifically for just their, their found fanfiction um, – outlet and then before that in the 90s you had tons of individualized sites just dedicated to like x-files fan fiction fraser mm-hmm. fan fiction uh that up too yeah. ally mcbeal fan fiction <laughs> had to have been some um so these those were all like message boards where people were specific to that fandom there, it had not yet to, it had yet to be aggregated incidentally would exactly. you like to know when the uh word fandom was first used I would love to know that. Uh, supposedly, the first recorded instance of somebody using the word fandom was in an 1896 Washington Post sports column. Uh, about people being fans of sports? Yeah, it just you, you, they were referring to the general fandom of the whoever, whatever team they were talking about. What I do like about that term, which seems very true for modern fan fiction communities, is that it feels like a kingdom or like a cast of people, mm. like the fandom. It's yeah. like a it, – and it feels like that. Like if you are in the fan culture for something, you are a part of this thing that is larger than even the uh, the intellectual property itself, which I think is cool. Fandom. Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, now we're in the 90s. Yeah, so you've got these message boards, early days of the internet, websites that are dedicated to very, very small communities of people that are interested in, you know, fan fiction stories, which uh, just I, I should say this now because this is a feature of every single article that I read about this is basically that fan fiction, as Zach and I have been talking about and just kind of speculating about, um, has been going on since the dawn of time. And yeah. the only reason it has this name and this following is just because of the nature of the internet. But the proclivity to make fan fiction and to share it with people that like these fan properties has been going on forever, apparently. Yes. And that, and we'll, we'll get into that uh, in a minute. And what's interesting about that is that as we started your research on fan fiction and the recent history of it, it seemed like it was kind of impossible to do that without – or t- to do it properly, you would also have to do a fairly substantial history of the internet. Yeah. Yes. Because a lot of these sites were – they were born out of um, this culture in the that started in the 40s uh, up through the 80s that was zine-making, mm-hmm. mostly science fiction zine-making. So a lot of people – writing fan fiction about popular science fiction books at the time and doing the same thing, like the, basically the same communities existed in the swapping of zines and publishing of zines uh, as it does online. It was just way more difficult to do. And predominantly, as you said, they were all Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Which is what I thought. And I what I was interested in is like this all roads seem to lead to Star Trek from everything mm-hmm. that I was reading. And uh, one particularly interesting 
bit of that zine culture fanfic that was coming uh, out of this Star Trek fan community was the invention of Slash, which we Slash fiction. Yeah, which we've talked about in the past, which is uh there's a there's a name for it when it's two women, but that's just called fem slash. Fem slash, cool. Thank you. Um, for slash, it's just two typically heterosexual characters in fiction who you make have a romantic encounter in in a story. And who did that start with? Oh, you guessed it, Kirk and Spock, baby. So what was so what's interesting about that? Because I read the same thing. Is that those are when you are putting two people together like that you're shipping them or making a pairing of them which is shipping them is putting them in a relationship and that's a whole thing we'll talk about in a minute that we've also talked about before but what's interesting about that is they they started calling it slash fiction because it would just be kirk slash spock right right Right. exactly whereas nowadays traditionally when you're when you're shipping people like that or putting them together you portmanteau the names together. Yeah, which is um, kind of a new that's a new invention. That's a newer the, uh, thing, which is which is crazy though, because if you cause Spurk or just straight up cock. <laughs> just cock. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like that's perfect. Why why Yeah. I mean if it? only I mean if only they had known if they were ahead of their time enough to just call it cock fiction. <laughs> yeah. Spurk kit fiction. Uh so what who are what are your uh give me two people you'd like to ship together. Ship and- together? Yeah, and uh, what what's the portmanteau for them? Oh, uh, well, I'd love to see Peter Parker and Porky Pig together, and it's just Peter <laughs> Porker. <laughs> Obviously. Damn it. Yeah, I mean, your turn. <laughs> okay. I'd like to see um, Jake the dog and Finn the human have something more than just a bromance. Mm-hmm. And uh, you could call that Jen the hog or mm. fake the dog man. Fake the Dog Man, I like that. Also, yeah. as like just a surrealist horror novel called Fake the Dog Man. Fake uh, the dog. S- sounds really upsetting. Um, yeah, that sounds disturbing. So, one of the other things, um, I, I, as we go further back in time, I narrow. Sorry, wait. My, search- my last one is uh, Marge Simpson and Mo Sislak, and it would just be Moj with two M's. <laughs> that is as gross sounding as it would be to see in a cartoon. Yeah. Moj. Moj. Um, so I ran into uh a term that we've we've run into multiple times in the past, uh, but it came out of these early days of fan fiction as well, I believe. Um mm-hmm. uh, the Mary Sue, which So I, I, I've got actually I've got some background on that. Well, I would love for you to give me further background on it because I, I was I had to read specifically about it to understand because from what I can understand, a Mary Sue is just typically a female character. They say that it's not necessarily just a female character. No, because there are Larry and Gary Sues too. Yeah, exactly. But Basically, Kirk like, is a Mary Sue. Yeah. And all, like James Bond is a Mary Sue. Yeah. Batman is a Mary Sue. Like MacGyver is a Mary Sue. So what it is, is yeah. just a a person who is too competent. And it's like there's a... Oh, it wasn't Isaac Asimov, but it was somebody who said, it's okay if it's a man because the Mary Sue as a man is the competent man. But if you have a female character who has too many virtues, like they're beautiful, they're smart, they're capable, uh, they're not seen as a relatable character and they're shunned by the fan community, which I think is so weird because the fan community is largely 
female readers. It seems to be predominantly female across the board. I mean, creators and participants. I, I don't know if that's true or not, but that certainly seems to be the case. Um, so yeah, let's just let's just talk about Mary Sue for a bit because yeah. um, so a lot of the so a lot of the articles that we obviously both read were on the Mary Sue, which mm-hmm. is a great yeah. um, which, website to check this stuff out. Yeah, totally. Way should have started there. I mean, mm-hmm. could have saved Probably. ourselves a lot of time. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So the term itself comes from a parody Star Trek zine called uh, about a character named Mary Sue that came out in the seventies, and it was it was parody because it was meant to. So Mary Sue in that character is like a fifteen-year-old who is the smartest cadet to ever come out of Starfleet. She knows she's capable at everything, and it was it was intentionally making fun of all these types of characters that were coming up in fan fiction a lot at gotcha. the time and still. And the idea that Mary Sue is like uh, – somebody put it really well. They just called it a ludic- ludicrously empowered author proxy. Mm, yes. Yes, I'd heard that, yeah. When you write yourself into the story as this incredibly talented and and um, capable person, like that's a Mary Sue. So I – a lot of like recent examples are like Ray from The Force Awakens, mm. Katniss Everdeen, even Imperador Furiosa. However, I don't actually think any of those three are because yeah, the whole I would point say that all of them are pretty psychologically damaged by the ends of those movies or at the beginning of those those movies. Well, I don't even think it has I don't think it has anything to do with that. I think it's more the fact that they the reasons why they're skilled at the things they're doing is because they grew up in environments where they had to learn them to survive. Right. So it's and, not yeah, just so it's not a ludicrously just the, empowered um, person. It's yeah. somebody who's disproportionately good at what they do for no particular reason. So a Mary Sue, and I think this was probably intentional, uh, Oliv- uh, Olivia Munn? Olivia Munn? Yeah. Yeah. Um, in The Predator is like a – evolutionary biologist who like inexplicably knows her way around every firearm and it's right it's there because it's just fun and as i said it's not a reload movie so it doesn't matter like it's just fun that she's in on it with all the guys right Uh, it actually is just entertaining and she's like i said she's really entertaining it but i think she's like purposefully a mary sue in that Sure. Um, like that we're kind of just enjoying the fact that we're jumping in on the already present Predator tradition of, in a fun way, lampooning the action movie franchise. Yes. Like, yeah, I'm into that. I'm into it as so, long as it's – well, I mean, I'm not, not into it in the first place. I just think it's a weird – it was a weird standard that is held mostly to women yeah. uh, and I not think that's to what's... male characters. That's what's weird about it. There's also – so just real quick, uh, I believe it was called A Trekkie's Tale. That was the 1970s zine um, – or that was the, the first story and it came out in a zine called Menagerie. Um, Paula Smith is the person who wrote it. So she wrote this parody tale where the Mary Sue comes from. Also, uh, there's a lot of flack. There's, there's a whole – well, I guess we would say discourse about how um, – like a lot of people have problems with female characters and stuff like in a lot of stories because it's just taking away airtime of the two 
slashable male characters. <laughs> like that's that's something that I've read as a criticism. <laughs> Why are we like, talking about what? this smart girl when we could just have two straight guys f-ing each other? Exactly. Yeah. And it's like yeah. well, and there's a whole there's a whole lot of discourse around slash fiction as well, in that it like typically orbits around straight white men. Sure, yeah. But I mean, who doesn't want to see them? Yeah. Two straight, two straight white guys? What could be more delicious? <laughs> I can't think of anything less erotic than two straight white guys. <laughs> yeah. Which is what we should have named our podcast, nothing less erotic than this. I also found it interesting that there's, there's film slash – which is obviously just slash fiction with two women is pretty underrepresented in fan fiction. Like there just isn't as much of it around, which I found interesting, but real quick, uh, there's a couple of things I mentioned earlier that like Mary Sue's can be called Marty Sue's, Marty Sue's or Larry Sue's or Gary yeah. Sue's. If they're yeah. men, they can also, they can be called like an Einstein Sue if their prowess is intellectually or my personal favorite, a Mary Zoo, if they're um, really capable tacticians, as in Sun Tzu, who wrote The oh, Art of War. <laughs> that is good. I thought you said, like, Larry Zoo, if they're just like a zoologist. <laughs> well, that's probably one as well. Yeah. Mary Zoo. <laughs> that's very funny. That's mm-hmm. really good. I, uh, yeah. Um, so that's I w- I was super everything in- I want to say about Mary Sue, I think. Well, the thing that, like that is a segue into as we go further back in time. Um, and I was just amazed at how many of the conventions that you see in modern fanfic that were always there, even in the pre-internet, like like what, like gender swapping, for example, like gender, gender bending. Bend- yeah. yeah. Um, when I was doing my investigation into like Sherlock Holmes fan fiction, of which there is a lot. I was finding that they would be written in these these magazines, one being the Speaker magazine. Uh, mm. The one that I read was written in 1891, just mm-hmm. four months after the initial publication of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's very first Sherlock Holmes story, A Scandal in Bohemia. And they were mm. called these pastiches back then. So it's just you basically take these characters and you just make a little joke story out of them. Um and would you like to know some of the people who wrote Sherlock Holmes fan fiction? I would love to. Well, one that I did not read was from Mark Twain. But oh, that one makes of, sense. Yeah, which is just fun. That's just fun. They're just contemporaries. And the one that I did read was written by J.M. Barry, the writer of Peter Pan. Oh, I know. They were friends. Well, and he... He basically did it just to troll his buddy, Sir, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. <laughs> That's awesome. I, th- yeah. I mean, didn't didn't uh, Michael Shabon write something like his his book after? I never read it, so I might could be wrong. But his book after Cavalier and Clay was like Sherlock Holmes in World War II or something. Um, I don't know, but I totally believe it because apparently totally everybody has. <laughs> yeah, because apparently everybody has written Sherlock Holmes fanfic. So at the time, that was the Sherlock Holmes Society and the Baker Street Irregulars. Did you read anything about them? No. Oh, yes. Well, those were just yes, like groups yes, of aficionados. Yeah. 
And that's where a lot of the fan fiction was coming from. And yes, sure I've, I've got a few there. stories from that uh, that group of people. And that's where some of the gender swapping stuff comes from. Mm. In fact, some of that comes from a dude named Rex Stout, who wrote a Sherlock Holmes ripoff story called Nero Wolf. Um, and he, having read the source material so closely, insisted that Watson was actually a woman because he's constantly nagging uh sherlock holmes about smoking Mm -hmm. and doing drugs and stuff and telling him not to and a quote from him that i thought was really funny was imagine a man asking another man to play him a song on the violin (laughs) (laughs) i mean that's those are those are strong words coming from rex stout (laughs) (laughs) i know i know it's uh it's pretty it's pretty crazy okay so just one more real quick fun story that mm-hmm. I like. There was a dude named Arthur Whitaker who wrote fan mm-hmm. fiction of Sherlock Holmes that uh, he thought was pretty good. And he actually gave it to Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and said, do you want a partner on this? Like we could both have our name on this writing credit. And he said it was – and he was like <laughs> – uh, By the way, that's a shitty thing to do, guys. Don't ever do that yeah, to your favorite author. <laughs> it's like pretty ballsy though. And uh-huh. apparently like Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was like, yeah, this is a pretty good story. What I recommend you do is just change the names in it and publish it as your own story. Obviously, don't use the names of my story, mm-hmm. but uh, change the name and publish it yourself. So, so there is a term for did. that. There is a term for that? There is a term for that. It is, it's like a way to classify um, fan fiction. And give me one second. I'll look it up. Well, while you're looking that up, let me, uh, let me tell you – it. What I saw in it was – so the detective's name was Harold Quest in the new one, which I uh-huh. really wanted to be Johnny Quest's dad's name. But I looked <laughs> it up and it was Benton Quest. Yeah, Benton Quest. And it – uh and they, the term that I heard was like filing off the serial number. And that's what they did for like E.L. James for Fifty Shades of Grey. You wrote it as fan fiction and it was exactly. good enough – that you wanted to actually publish it. So now you got to go back through your own fiction and like file off the serial number so you can publish it as your own, uh, as your own work, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Filing off the serial numbers is like the more interesting term for it. Um, but, uh, in short, it's called P2P, which is pull to publish. So like when you see P2P, uh, classifying it on some of these aggregates that's what that means but yeah the filing off the serial numbers was like the sexier term yeah i like that i like that too cool so um like i'll just tell you i mean it was basically just a troll session from jm barry to uh (laughs) to uh sir arthur sir arthur conan doyle so the setup is he's just writing himself um he published anonymously but even j like Sir Arthur Conan Doyle immediately outed him and was like, yeah, that was J.M. Barry just being, <laughs> just being a dick. Um, <laughs> in good fun, apparently. But he wrote himself and, uh, and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle as just hanging out in a living room with the character of Sherlock Holmes. And, uh, and it's just J.M. Barry doing Sherlock Holmes trick against him. Sherlock Holmes keeps on trying to deduce Whoa. like that he hates music because he held his cigar cutter in a certain way and he just keeps blowing him off and saying, "Yeah, that's obvious." Duh. And he starts uh doing all the deductive logic is like, "I can tell by your hat that you've been in the country for a week." It's like, "You must have seen me." He's like, "No, no, because people that have uh 
a tall silk hat like that spend the time in the cities they go used to uh you know you know ducking so their heads under doorways but yours has a dent so clearly you've been in the countryside where they prefer a bowler hat out in the countryside so wait he wrote himself into the story as like out out sherlock holmes out sherlock, sherlock holmes, holmes. Sherlock <laughs> yeah. holmes. which is that's, funny well that's that is funny that's also like puts that weird anakin and and Padme hanging out in their living room watching Gra- uh, Black Swan right. story kind of into perspective. Yeah, I know. Like, because he's literally writing a story to his buddy, the uh-huh. author of another story where he and his buddy are with his character while he's making fun <laughs> of his buddy's character to his friend who's playing like the Watson, who's like astonished by their ability to do this to each other, which is really funny. You know, that is some extremely elaborate trolling and yeah. by no nowhere close to the most elaborate that I've seen in modern <laughs> in the modern era. I know. We really if we can say anything about twenty eighteen to nineteen, is we've really gotten trolling down to an art. We've really point. cultivated the troll. Yeah, that's true. Trolltivated. Well, I think that's basically like all of the all of the really fun stuff. I mean mm-hmm. I thought that all of this was super interesting. Oh, the uh, one other little just fun anecdote I ran across was, uh, um, so I'd heard in the past that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle killed off Sherlock Holmes and then his fan base was so rabid that eventually he brought him back from the dead and wrote like the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Mm -hmm. But I didn't realize apparently in some of his writings, he had said that he... Because he was writing very serious, uh, more serious fiction than what this was kind of just fun fiction to him, mm-hmm. where he was trying to make money with the Sherlock Holmes stories. Um, and he did not want the character of Sherlock Holmes to eclipse him as a figure, um, which. Well, he, n- he, he nailed it then. Yeah, which he totally did. Like, yeah. everybody knows who Sherlock Holmes is. And I would say probably only. of the people that are familiar with Sherlock Holmes would know Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's name. Yeah, but if you if if you asked them if they were like, "Who's that?" and you're like, "He wrote, he invented Sherlock Holmes," they'd be like, "Oh, oh, that motherfucker! Did he smoke a pipe?" Yeah, I would say it's very hard to distinct, like, to separate the two. He's not like you can't. It's hard to be eclipsed by your own creation, right? But when you in that right, God. <laughs> we invented trolls, motherfucker. <laughs> what did you make? Everything what did else. You make All everything right. else. <laughs> uh, you win this Shit. round, God. <laughs> We're gonna get you, though. We invented meatball subs. What do you have? <laughs> yeah, but you <laughs> you compare that against God someone like meatball subs. Yeah, he did. But they but only kosher subs because as we all know, God is Jewish. Mm-hmm. So, um whereas Jane Austen's like big fans of Jane Austen, they worship her as an author mm-hmm. and then all of her characters, whereas people mm-hmm. don't care about Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. They just care about the character of Sherlock Holmes. So he didn't like Sure, that. yeah. No, that's that's a good point. Uh and I think that I mean that that's that's a good place to start as far as going back in history, and we should just do a second part of this where we continue backward from there. Sick. Um, like so, right now? but <laughs> right now, uh, <laughs> well, cause I think that that's like, I mean, I, I want to dive into Shakespeare and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, yeah. I think we, we, there's, we should take more time to do just that. But 
for right now, uh, I want to toss some in doing this research. I just want to toss some new fanfic terms at you and see if uh, see if you can guess what they mean. Uh, this sounds like a game, and I love games. So, yes, please. this isn't a game, Andrew. This is serious. Okay, all right. I'll keep it. I'll be very serious about this. So you know what canon is? Mm-hmm. The original, you know, the original source material. Correct, and and I'm I'm assuming you can guess what fanon is. Um, where it's the agreed upon, uh, like fandom telling within one fan community mm-hmm. of what is real and what is not real according to one fan community's yes. you know wishes. It's the it's the fandom's canon. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know what head canon is? Um, that is in one individual person, like how you choose to interpret that, like the original canon. Like I've yeah. heard of that in use with like Hermione Granger being like black. That uh-huh. that that's head canon, where it's it doesn't super go against the original canon, and it's just more fun to think of it that way. So let's let's think of Hermione as. Yeah, it's like private. It's private canon. Mm-hmm. Can yeah. we just call that non-canon? Can we just say that's non-canonical? Yeah. <laughs> why do we? Have, why does it? Like, why do? Why? That's it's such a funny, like silly term think, to me. Yeah, what you think of in your own mind. You could also just call that your thoughts. <laughs> yeah, you could just call that hopes, hopes <laughs> yeah. and dreams. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like that. I mean, yeah. head canon makes it. You know, gives it kind. It of makes a it cute sound name. like a delicacy. Yeah. Or, or like something that could really clean out your sinuses really fast, like a head cannon. Mm -hmm. But uh, a head cannon. Like, give me more. (laughs) Give me more of these. I want to play. Okay, so you know where slash came from. Do you know where where shipping originated? Hmm. I'm gonna guess that it came out of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Trying to put characters that didn't end up together together. That is a really good guess, and I'm sure that it mutated very heavily because of Buffy. But it actually, supposedly, originated with the X Files. Oh, Mulder and Scully. Yeah. People Mulder really and Scully them to get together. Yeah, that makes sense. And their uh, their UST. Yeah. Unresolved Wait. sexual tension. Yeah. Is that a term as well? UST. <laughs> yeah. I. It, I have now. not seen it anywhere other than that <laughs> article and our podcast, but I'm assuming it is. Hey, I mean, I experience it regularly, so it's mm-hmm. real to me. It's real to you. Yeah. Uh, no, one. no, I said, I said, us, not lust. <laughs> oh, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. So also, since in shipping, like, so there's there are there are ship wars, shipping wars, like the two pairings that you put together. That's a ship, right? You want your your two, you want Mulder right. and Scully to be together. You're we'll also describing a trade war, Mully. shipping wars. <laughs> yeah, well, that's yeah. true. <laughs> or Skulder. So you got you. So Skulder is your is your your ship. But then, like, if you want, if you're of the camp, like I am, that wants Mulder to get with the Cancer Man, then mm. oh, I we would be battling inner fandom. It'd be a shipping war. Yes, where it's like can solder is what you call that. <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, do you know what OTP is? One or one true pairing. That's your yep. actual soulmate. These are mm-hmm. too easy. Dancing. 
I'm hey, they're new to me. Uh okay, okay, okay. TPTB? Nope. Don't know what that one is. But let me speculate. Hold on. TPT yeah. D? B as in but. TPTB. The proof the pudding. <laughs> B, not P. <laughs> All right. <laughs> the proof is in the pudding is not. It's correct. actually just okay. the pudding, the pudding. <laughs> It's the like, pudding, oh, the horror, the, the horror. <laughs> um, oh. <laughs> TPTB, the powers that be. Oh, like, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's TT, TPTB won't won't ever let these two get together or whatever. So gotcha. the powers that be, the authors, that sort of thing. Very good. Very good. PWP? PWP. I'll give you a hint. It's not pudding what pudding. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna go like pawning women's purses, but I couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't get there fast enough. But what is it? Um, it's either short for plot, what plot, or ah. sometimes just porn without plot. So that's gotcha. like Harry gotcha. Potter sexier. Is yeah, PWP. that was all the stuff that, that is was just definitely PWP. Definitely. Um. Okay. So this one you'll find very interesting. Can you guess what fan casting is? Um, my guess is predicting what is going to happen in the fan fiction that you are currently reading, not in canon. So if you're trying to forecast the next oh. thing that's going to happen within your own fan community. That's a good idea. Um, that's wrong, but that does make sense. Cool. Uh, no, it's when it's when fans like recast characters. With different actors, or like before it's been announced that and who's going to play who, like you. Oh, I do that in my head all the time. I know, I know. It's like You're Idris Elba caster. needs to be the next uh, James Bond, for example. We've Speaking been saying of, that for years. Yeah, I mean, you saw Carrie Joji Fukunaga is directing the next Bond. Oh my God, Maniac is a work of genius. So is True Detective season one. Okay, so. I'm going to bring up another um, so-called work of genius that's a, that that Andrew's a big fan of. Uh, so, do you know where the term um, race bending comes from? Race bending. Mm. Yes. Uh, I'm going to guess probably has to do with whitewashing Asian characters to make them look which, more white. Which Asian character specifically? Avatar: The Last Airbender. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> so apparently it originated from that. So airbender, racebender. Uh, and you're right. It is like the, the bad ver- – it seems to be – it seems to be potentially used in two different – like very different ways. One is negatively referring to um, whitewashing and and the terrible practice of that. And the other is it seems like race bending can also be like gender bending in that and, – and it's similar to fan casting in that like you can reimagine a different character in a different race. Gotcha. I think I've got that. I, I think so. I know that that's definitely like, like really... one version of it. Oh, I guess – Sketchy uh, territory? Yeah, yeah I, I like agree. really sketchy territory. But then I was just thinking about the Hermione as like a little black British girl. And I think that that's like really sweet and like – because she's got curly hair – yeah, and that's fine, really but it's a slippery there. slope. Yeah, totally. It's like I think that that one is sweet and adds depth to her character as opposed to just somebody saying, everybody should be white. <laughs> you know, 
that uh, that's it. <laughs> that's more just somebody like the hench, the henchman from Venture Brothers, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I got two more for you that I think Great. are interesting. One, um, one is called queer baiting. Hmm. I assume that means you you toss just enough tantalizing slash like things into your story mm-hmm. to keep your gay audience listening, but you never quite fully deliver on the slash content. You never make it canon. Yeah, that's you're exactly correct. And I I, f- I feel like um, Willow and Buffy was an example of this. Yeah, I could be wrong. Well, interesting thing Does about she- Buffy, like. She always was kind of, I mean, she always was like kind of bisexual a little bit, like that there was, she was never fully interested. But then once the series ended and they brought out the comics, which are canon Mm because Josh signs off on all those stories, Mm -hmm. uh, she does have a lesbian relationship with one of the other slayers. So interesting. The bait, Um, finally, the trap closed around that queer bait. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, so I that's like I feel like that's a term that probably or probably came into popularity because of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Sure. Um okay, so the final one, do you know what a cinnamon roll is? Mm, oh, that's a tough one. Okay. Come on, creative energies. Okay. So a cinnamon roll is where you take a long and disconnected story and mm-hmm. then you you break – you fold it back in on itself so you tell it in a nonlinear <laughs> way uh, uh-huh. that makes the telling of it more interesting and very sweet. And then I uh. assume you just add some sex as a glaze over the top of it. But <laughs> that's my guess for cinnamon roll. Uh, no. <laughs> okay. I tried so, my best. <laughs> uh, a cinnamon roll is – a ship, a pairing between two people that is just like too good and too wholesome and too pure to actually mm. exist. Like it hits, it hits, it's like a it's too sweet. Luna and um, Neville. Neville, like yeah. It's, even though that's hinted at the books, it's too sweet. It's like too saccharine. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's like you got the 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 sweetest sweethearts can't mm. just like sweet off into the sweet night together. <laughs> That's really funny, but also the, it's originated from – there was an Onion article. The headline of the article was, beautiful cinnamon roll, too good for this world, too pure. Mm. <laughs> and that was it, and then that became a meme, and then that got that, – that became a part of – well, that's just how memetics work, but – I was just trying to see if that was a haiku in my head, but I don't think it is. But it's very beautiful. Beautiful cinnamon roll, too yeah. good for this world, too pure. <laughs> yeah, no, it would have to be – hang on. It would have to be beautiful cinnamon roll. Too good for this world. So, too good for this world, beautiful was it cinnamon five, five, roll. Five, seven, five? Yeah, so that works. So, too good for this too world. Good for this world. <laughs> beautiful cinnamon roll, too sweet, far too pure. Would be, would work, but anyway, that's beautiful just, cinnamon roll. That's just my head cannon of that uh, onion, uh, too, onion article. Too good for this world. I have to f- you. Yeah, that's. I knew you were gonna that cinnamon roll eventually. Who's always gonna end there? Yeah. Um. Good night, Andrew. Good night, Zach. <laughs> 
the sweetest sweethearts can't mm-hmm. just like sweet off into the sweet night together. <laughs> you're, you're not going to call it the sweet uh, sweet set? Oh, that would have been better. <laughs> God, thank God you're editing try it, this. Try it one more time. Yeah. So you got the... <laughs> <laughs> can't do it again. They'll know, Try, Zach. You have to do it. Oh God! I swear to God, you have to do it, or you're off the podcast. Uh, it would be a it would be a gift. <laughs> uh, all right. Okay. You got this. take two. I can't do it. I can't do this <laughs> twice. You can't say the sweetest, the sweetest the sweet, sweet, sweet off into the off sweet, into set. sweet set. No. It's too oh, sweet. Jesus. That's a cinnamon roll. You're asking me to do a cinnamon roll. Yeah, I can't you're do right. It. I am. A- yeah, you're right. Hi, Zach here, and thanks for listening. If you want to find more episodes, you can at fanfiction.show. If you want to contact us, you can email Zandrew, that's Andrew with a Z, uh, Zandrew at fanfiction.show. Our Twitter and Instagram are at fanfictionshow. In this episode, we talked about A Trekkie's Tale by Paula Smith, A Double Barrel Detective Story by Mark Twain, which sets Sherlock Holmes in the American West. My Evening with Sherlock Holmes by J.M. Barry, The Final Solution by Michael Chabon, and we, we briefly mentioned the detective stories of Nero Wolfe by Rex Todd Hunter Stout, and finally, The Man Who Was Hunted by Arthur Whitaker. <laughs>